0: I'm Jerry Barmash, and this is here Now the News. We witnessed yet another mass shooting. This time the horror came at a Boulder, Colorado supermarket. Ten people were killed, including a police officer. That comes after a gunman opened fire at multiple massage parlors in Georgia, where eight people died. While these deadly incidents are being investigated, this episode explores the increasing concern about homegrown terrorism especially since we watched the startling events unfold on January 6th. My guest is Mick Mulrall. He's a national security analyst and contributor for ABC News. Thanks for being with me today. Tell me a little about yourself. You have a varied uh, career from working uh, in the Defense Department, in the, uh, in the Trump administration. You were a CIA officer. You were a Marine. Just expand a little on that, if you could.
1: Sure, Jerry. Um... You're right. I was a Marine at first, both enlisted and then uh, commissioned. And then I was recruited into the uh, CIA and I did my career uh, there as a, what they call a paramilitary operations officer, which is a hybrid between um, what you think uh, traditionally as a, as an intelligence officer, as an operator in the agency, plus the military component of special operations. So I'm not, as you might guess, I'm not allowed to talk about uh, what I did there, except for that's what I did. Uh, and then after that, um, while I was waiting for my partner here at the Lobo Institute to retire from the Navy, and he was a SEAL for 24 years. I had the opportunity to go work for Secretary Madison. he was the Secretary of Defense, uh, as his deputy assistant secretary for the Middle East. So I'm not a partisan. I'm not, I'm completely apolitical, but you know, as a former Marine, I wasn't about to miss the opportunity to work for Secretary Mattis. And then, uh, Secretary Esper after that. And then that's when, uh, after two years of uh, working there, uh, my business partner was ready to retire, and we came here to Montana to start the logo.
0: Oh, they, they, you started it with with him? Yes. Oh, absolutely. So based on on that profile, certainly I thought you were the right person to speak to, given the the latest rash of mass shootings. While we don't necessarily know, uh, as we record this, uh, what the motives are, it, it certainly, at the very least, brings as this coverage continues, it brings back to the forefront, the, the concern of the, the homegrown terrorists, the, the extremists. And, and I certainly wanted to speak to you about that, this problem that's still there. I mean, it seems to right, be right under the surface.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So one of, the, one of the things we do here at the Lobo Institute is we're uh, national security uh, analyst for ABC News. And I bring that up because they asked uh, sometime in November, um, of last year, uh, for me to do a deep dive on domestic extremists. I and mean, like I already referenced, I, I spent almost all of my career, um, whether it's counterinsurgency or uh, counterterrorism, the regular warfare field, obviously outside of the United States, not inside of the United States. Uh, but they asked me to look at what was going on within the country from that perspective. So I did, and we looked at the, the both the far right and the far left, and whether, in fact, there was a chance of some kind of insurgency within the United States. So I did so, and I, with a friend who'd already done a lot of research, Dave Kilcullen, who's well known for his uh, knowledge on counterinsurgencies worldwide, looked at the groups, what they were trying to do, and essentially decided that they're what the CIA would term is an incipient insurgency, which is groups that have the intent to either directly confront the government, awfully, uh, you know, armed, um, and they're in the current stages of preparing substantially. So um, it's more than just weapons. It's also organization, communications, coordination. That's what I did. And then, you know, I put out uh, a paper on that, uh, uh essay, if you will, um, that talked about the right, the left, what they're doing, and then the, the additional concerns of foreign actors being involved in those groups and also... Unfortunately, military members, veterans, uh, former military mentors being involved in how that substantially increases the problem. Uh, and then of course, January 6th happened and people were sending me my article with the question mark. Will there be an American insurgency removed? Unfortunately, but that's, uh, that's how I really came to, and, and quite frankly, Jerry, I was, I was somewhat surprised because I, again, I never focused internally on the United States. In fact, I lived overseas for most of my career. So it was kind of shocking just as an American to see the level of consternation in in these
0: groups. You mentioned the obviously the insurrection, uh, the uprising at the Capitol, January 6th. First of all, do you think that was a one off or do you think that there are more potential problems? Obviously, that was connected to the election without getting into politics. We certainly know that that was the situation. The president has changed. But does the climate change with it?
1: So I, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's it was uh, a one-off. I think what it did, you know, for those who would like to see uh, to counter the extremism in the United States, in many ways, the positive was these groups were exposed for what they are. They are anti-democratic, counterfactual, uh, and willing to use violence against, you know, everybody, including law enforcement. So uh, that was exposed. The negative is you saw a substantial amount of people go to Washington DC, you know, pay for the ticket, pay for the hotel, and then seriously jeopardize their future by taking this type of action. So I say that in a negative way is it shows a willingness of people to do that. I mean, many of these individuals will go to prison and they should, uh, but they were willing to do so uh, for this. And I think that shows, uh, I think that is very concerning for those that are tasked with countering domestic insurgencies and extremism. Of course, every American uh, that's out there. So I don't think it's a one-off. I think you will see increasing um, mobilization in groups around the country. I hope we don't see assault say on capitalism states or on things to that extent, but I would say, and we can get into some of these groups, but a lot of these groups, Say they're mobilizing for the potential of a civil war, you know, a new civil war in the United States. To me, it seems like they would like to create the very civil war of which they seem to seem to be concerned about. So it's, it's almost like a, a situation where these groups would want to instigate something, particularly with the government to kind of validate their overall philosophy, if you can call that their, their theory that, that the, uh, there's an inevitable civil war in the United States.
0: And those groups, we, we know them, the the Proud Boys, the, the Oath Keepers is another one. I just heard a report uh, in the last day or two, and I'm sure you're aware of this, in, regarding the January 6th insurrection involving the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers were working together, we're learning. Is that, in any way, is that surprising?
1: Uh, it's not surprising. And when I looked at a lot of the, the right-wing groups, um, you know, from the Northwestern Front, which is a group that seeks to create a, a white state within a state in, you know, the Pacific Northwest, uh, which is, of course, uh, illegal because you can't create a state within the United States, uh, to groups um, like the Boogaloo Boys, which was this overall overarching group that wanted to essentially create the Civil War. And then to the, I don't know if they're necessarily splinter groups, but they're, they're up and coming groups of this nature, which you've already cited, the Proud Boys and the Oak Keepers. Um, the big concern, I mean, all of it's concerning, but the problem is when you take somebody who has military experience, who may have been in Iraq or Afghanistan, who infantry or special forces, uh, or intel that has the capability to go into a group that's already existing, like these groups the probably the Oath Keepers, and then take their experience and knowledge and coordinating and planning and actual tactics, uh, in, with it that's when you take a group of um, maybe very loud, uh, ineffective um, people to one that's effective. So you take a a really dangerous um, group and make it even more dangerous and more lethal. So the coordination you might have seen is because several of them are from the military and have that ability and know that if you're not coordinating your efforts, they're um, not as effective as they would be in a coordinated. And, you know, we saw the communications and they're trying to use encrypted apps that are available on phones, but also radios, which are very much more difficult to follow from law enforcement afterwards. But these are all things that are indicative of um, an experienced military person or an intelligence person
0: being involved with their group. What are they going for to be together to to consolidate? What, what For a layman, what, what is the purpose?
1: So if it's specific to the January 6th attack on the Capitol, it might've just been coordination to be able to get in there. And to the extent that they were, and I'll let law enforcement determine their ultimate motives, uh, kidnap uh, lawmakers uh, for trial, or even the vice president for, um, that would need to be coordinated. So like, how would you get in there? How would you detain these, uh, you know, obviously the lawmakers and, and do whatever they were going to do. Um, That's be one reason to coordinate we also saw arrests uh, in, in Michigan, you know, before all this happened, where they had a, a coordinated plan to attack the Capitol and kidnap the governor and have some mock trial and, and those kind of things. And some of them were in the military. If it's a untrained person, it's still horrible. But the chances of them getting caught are much higher. If it is a trained person, the chances of getting caught go down, which means it could be a successful operation, which are obviously horrendous. Um, the military, Secretary Austin has uh, instigated this, and, and for good reason, on a stand-down to look for and identify extremist elements within the military and purchase, and to ensure that everybody understands it serves, uh, that you serve the Constitution, uh, and, and that is it. And we have a chain of command and uh, any extremism, whether it's far right or far left, and there are groups on the far left um, that are actually getting more armed than they ever have in the past but is not tolerated in the military. Uh, And that is a a, a very good step because we don't want any of these individuals being trained by the government and then obviously becoming an insurgent against that very government.
0: Are there ways not only to stop it, but are there ways to, as they've been saying for years uh, to citizens, if you see something, say something, is there a way to recognize uh, before it happens for for people who are in the military?
1: So they've done they've taken some steps to start screening social media for example if you're if you're interested in serving in the army navy air force and marine corps um you go through a process you always have right the basic security process background check uh that background check needs to needs to include you know whether you're a member of an extremist organization and the fbi has those designated as what is an extremist organization and a lot of the groups we talked about are on their list so if you have decided to become a you know, a member of those groups, you should not be allowed in the military. Also, there's tattoos, right? So many people have them now. It's kind of common across society, but certainly in the military, it was it was uh, common ever since I, you know, uh, joined. Uh, if you have extremist tattoos, right, Confederate flags, swastikas, or any of the other, and and just like police that follow gangs, there's certain things they look for. And if you come in with those, then during the medical screening. I, I believe they would identify those and you would be not, not in. And then of course, once you get in, it, it should be a strong training core curriculum that includes not only, you know, tactics, techniques, and procedures of being a good soldier, sailor, airman, or Marine, but also the ethics, the ethics, excuse me, of the military and um, the constitution and the, and the values and principles of the United States. It, it is what's taught. And I think it's, in you know, I don't want to be over, I'm not overly negative with the military. It's it's a great, I think, uh, force in the world, quite frankly, you know, both as a young Marine, as a mid-level person, and then as a more senior person, uh, I saw that all over the world. So I'm very, very positive. I don't. I, I know we're talking about some of the negative aspects of it, but I don't want to give that impression. Sure. Uh, it's also been extraordinarily when it comes for being in the impetus of social change, right? Racial, gender, and and, and other areas. So, I think this is a very positive step. I know the military will take it very serious on how it does, it just needs to happen because of this overarching issue of what appears to be a, a growing extremist element within the society of the United States.
0: Now, what we don't know, as I said at the top, the motive for the most recent one, uh, the, the horrific shooting in Colorado, 10 people killed in a, sh- in a supermarket, uh, including a police officer, Can that be used even indirectly as a calling card for uh, these groups, these militia right-wing groups such as the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers or or others?
1: So I think, and I don't, to your point, we don't know what the motive was for that individual. Um, I think when any incident like this happens now, one of the efforts for law enforcement and intelligence is going to be determined, is this person tied to a larger group you know, whether it's foreign, you know, extremism, Al Qaeda, uh, ISIS, those types, uh, which is, in the United States, is quite frankly a fraction of the incident. I mean, I spend a lot of time, as did my uh, colleagues, uh, focused on that. But the United States, uh, just to give you some stats, about 67% of the uh, incidents, if you will, and they're not all mass shootings, of course, are from the far right extremist elements. About 20% are from the far left uh, and an increasingly armed far left and only like seven percent are actually uh, jihadists so like the al-qaeda type folks uh, i just here, want to can here, i just correct one yeah. thing i
0: said i said calling yeah. card what i meant to say was as a recruiting tool that, that was the phrase i meant to say
1: sure so i think you know again not, not knowing what's happening in colorado but if if an incident like this was done by a domestic extremist group, an individual say either either through coordinated effort with that group or as we call like a lone wolf Right. We see them just self radicalized and think that this is good for the cause. And then they go do this, and post it on Facebook or something like that. One, I think they would look for those kind of indicators, because if you're not if you're not actually promoting a philosophy, then it doesn't seem like that would be the case. Uh, but if you are, uh, it's incredibly dangerous because it shows that one member of a group is willing to do such a horrific thing. And obviously in their life, you know, either through incarceration, the rest of it or being executed. Um, others can see that level of commitment. And uh, that's why, you know, I know it's, you know, I work for media. I know it's certainly a matter of public concern. You need to talk about these things. But I just, I hope that individuals don't get too much recognition to do this because that's not what we want. Either because they just, that's all they were seeking in the first place, personally, or because it's for some group. They're deranged individuals that need to be cut off, you know, prosecuted and convicted. Uh, but from a perspective of somebody looking at extremism, that's one of the things they're going to look at and see if there is any ties and connections, whether they're members of groups and chats.
0: And that's part of what the police and, and other law enforcement agencies, they'll be looking at that online profile in those interviews to, to see what his past has been or his connections and links are.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's exactly what we do when we look for foreign terrorists. Um, we try to find uh, their connections and, uh, and to be able to determine not only who they're connected to, but what they plan to do, you know, it's, it's obviously much better to stop an attack from happening than try to determine how one did. Uh, but those kind of things, I think are going to become more and more common. There's the techniques that were developed overseas to help law enforcement in the United States. Like that's one of the things I talked about on the paper because it's what they asked me to do is some of the things that could help um, law enforcement and intelligence inside the United States, but when it comes to countering extremism that we have learned from other conflicts around the world, if you will, or certainly other counterinsurgency campaigns. My my personal take from that was, one, we have to know the culture. You know, we had a conversation where we started, I was uh, born in California, I lived in Massachusetts, I lived in Georgia growing up, and now I live in Montana. So I'm not an expert probably in any of the cultures of those places, but I do know that they are different, right? So being smart enough to know if you're trying to infiltrate to get intelligence assets in that, and by intelligence asset, I mean law enforcement based, not the mild organization, which is prohibited from doing that, to determine whether attacks are going to happen and whether this problem is substantial, and if it is, how substantial. You have to know the culture, the subculture, if you will. Uh, that's one. The second thing is uh, you really have to find out who's the most radicalized. And, and to your point, you can find these folks online. You can see the ones that are instigating other things and leading other people to join the movement in promoting uh, more and more violent acts. You need to identify, segregate those for the rest of the population and then deal with them. That's the other thing. Uh, the, the third that I would bring up is uh, we don't want to overreact. We went into many places and quite frankly, although direct action is very much needed in many cases, you have to be careful with how you use it. Direct action force, I mean, because you could create more, more of an enemy if it is not done with discretion. So you can see incidents in the past, look at Waco uh, as an example, where perhaps we were overly heavy handed with our law enforcement and ended up with a lot of, in that case, uh, children that were killed and that could cause more of an issue. So it's definitely something that needs to be dealt with. There's, There's examples that we could find from overseas and our actions there, as long as they're within the legal framework of the United States. So we're not talking about armed drones and all that kind of stuff. And then address some of the concerns and maybe counter some of the false messaging. For example, we have whole groups out there that now, I mean, they exist to spread conspiracy theories that are completely false. So if there's a messaging component to this. There's a cultural component to this. And then there's, of course, an intelligence gathering and taking action in a law enforcement sense. Part
0: of it. Specific to this uh, suspect uh, at the shooting in Boulder, do you, again, from from a distance, not dealing directly with it, do you see anything as a potential red flag? So, from what I know about it, he's had family members that talked about his
1: uh, psychological state. So we'll 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 find out what the psychologists and psychiatrists say about that. So that I don't know. I know they've m- mentioned that he was born in Syria. What I would hope that that isn't a factor. Being born in Syria is not something that I think would have any say on whether there was some motive to say a foreign terrorist organization. If there is, there is. But people who were born elsewhere come here uh, are American. So I would not take that as an indicator unless there was something additional that we saw. But that would be based on him and he could be could have been born here and he could have been in, of any ethnic group if he has connections to Al Qaeda. that that's something that determine. So the only thing I know about is what he was perhaps at a psychological issue and believed that people were following. I don't know. I don't want to get ahead. Sure. And quite frankly, domestic law enforcement isn't my area of expertise. But I know that they will be looking for all these indicators in any incident like this to determine what was the reason, partly because you need to explain to that uh, in trial, and I used to be a prosecutor, so I have some long time ago, knowledge in this, and partly because you want to find out if anybody else is culpable, right? Is somebody promoting... Again, I don't want to talk about Colorado because I don't know the incident there. But if somebody does something like this, you want to find out somebody who's promoting this, somebody who supported it, material support, somebody committed a crime like this. Is a crime in and of itself. So there could be other individuals that need to be, you know, investigated and potentially prosecuted. So they they have to determine that by looking at all the, all the the motives and what went into the decision to do
0: something like. That. And I'm assuming whenever there's any of these incidents that certainly get large coverage for, for obvious reasons. There's always concern, whether it's a lone wolf or bigger uh, groups, for those copycats. I'm sure that is always a concern.
1: Yes, that's absolutely. I mean, it could be a coordinated effort to do a series of attacks, say if it was from a t- terrorist organization on extremist element, uh, where you know one then the other than the other to have a cumulative effect that shows that the government can't protect the people, right? I mean, that's the point of a lot of terrorist activity Is to make some kind of political change through violence against civilians. So, and that's, so having a series of attacks like this could be the case. Also, it could be that they're inspiring others by taking this drastic and dramatic and horrific uh, step to do these things. And somebody else thinks, okay, that's a good idea. That's why so many of these extremist groups promote the people that do this with videos that they made before they, many of them are, are killed while Uh, conducting these activities. So they promote them on their websites. This is a martyr or whatever they want to refer to them as. Uh, They try to enhance uh, that person's image um, to get other people to potentially want to do this. So if you have somebody who is very upset and obviously disturbed and wants to make a name for themselves, that they could use these these, uh, tendencies to their own advantage for their organization to get somebody to do something like this.
0: In some ways, the elephant in the room is is the weapon, the AR-15. Uh, whenever there are these these mass shootings, it seems to be, especially in the last several years, always seems to be an AR-15. I know it's a political issue with wanting it to be banned and not, and crosses party lines. Is that weapon too easily accessible right now in the country?
1: So, like you said, I I'll stay away from the political issue when it comes to. I mean, I have opinions, but as an analyst, I stay away from really in the national security realm, I stay away from political uh, issues. I would say that, you know, the AR-15 is essentially the same, very similar weapons that, you know, the military and uh, intelligence services carry in conflict areas. So it's very familiar. It's very accurate. Uh, It's Pretty light and it, it is designed to be able to do what you'd expect it to do. It's designed to be able to kill the enemy on the battlefield, uh, most effectively. It's readily available across the United States. So I think, I think to, to kind of not answer, but answer your question, it is something that law enforcement, of course, who's, who is, has the mission to protect us all is concerned about. And it is, it is also something that we look for because groups that tend to that we've already talked about whether it's a boo boys or uh they tend to gravitate toward these weapons because they're the most effective and people that were in the military they were in these groups it's very familiar so there's also other types of weapons they are the ar series you know the i mean the ak series rather which is uh really the the soviet uh russian uh version of our ar-15 or m16 or m4 um they're they're designed to fight so that is that type of weapon. And unfortunately, there's a lot of things that people can do to make them even more by making them automatic and having extended magazines. But certainly right. a concern for law enforcement.
0: Right, and and I know in, in Las Vegas, the uh, what became a bump stock, in effect, multiple rounds, right? And that was banned, right? So to my understanding, it was banned. And I mean, I won't go into the details
1: of it, but it's effectively it makes it makes the weapon come off your shoulder in rapid succession. So it makes the weapon fire like an automatic. Obviously, that's not... And to be honest, you know, I've spent a lot of time in conflict areas in combat. You know, the individual weapon on automatic, it's generally a bad technical decision because you don't hit anything. But if, if you're shooting into a crowd, like you referenced, the Las Vegas the shooter was shooting from a hotel into a, pot, into a lot of people. It just puts more uh, rounds uh, downrange, and it could cause, you know, obviously horrible
0: we didn't really talk about the left, but it doesn't get the same um, press, I guess. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, again, the FBI has identified that the most significant threat is from white separatist extremists, so the WSEs. Those are the most they have about, I think, uh, the paper that I wrote cites uh, Cullen's research, which about 380 far right armed groups, 50 far left armed groups, so not as much, but uh, they're growing substantially, and I think between 2019 and 2020, their incidents from them went up four times, so 4 full. There's groups, for example, the John Brown Gun Club. Obviously, Antifa, everybody's familiar with that, but the ones that are more armed, more substantially armed, and very similar to the, the groups on the right, so people who would go purchase uh, AR-15s, John Brown Gun Club. Redneck revolt are the two that I am most tracking. And they have, they are generally far left ideology, uh, abolish the police, but also against the government because the government police is the first line of government is the police. Uh, they are, they are actively looking, in my opinion, and I think really from their statements to, to have a conflict with the government. So now you have a growing group on the far left. You don't have to be a counter extremist expert to see the problem here and a growing large group on the right of armed people, both thinking there's going to be a civil war, and both almost looking to instigate something with the government, which would potentially incite. It. So I think it's important to note that that this is uh this is a problem that's on both political spheres. And, you know, I've talked to several people about this in the government. Uh one of the things I like to say, and again I'm a nonpartisan person, but it would be helpful if the people on whichever side of the aisle are you on, focus on the extremists on your side of the aisle. Everybody seems to want to talk about the other side of the aisle and I'm, they're both, you know, obviously need to be addressed. But if that's the case, if you're only talking about that on whichever side you're on, if you're only talking about the other side's extremist group, you're not only not helping, but you're actually somewhat part of the problem because you have to address extremists as something that we don't need in the society, regardless of which side of the political spectrum they're on you understand my point there's too much of the i'm going to ignore what my side did and i'm just going to focus on on yours right in any way it's almost propaganda for the whichever side i'm not saying you're on their side but you know political okay. spectrum you're almost you're almost supporting them by by ignoring what they do and not and only commenting on say antifa only commenting on uh the boogaloo boys right and, and ignoring you know the extremist element on your
0: side right Several countries, I know you've sort of alluded to it before. Several countries are somewhat connected to these groups. Are they funding as well?
1: So that's something that I think we're going to be looking at in detail about how many foreign actors are fomenting uh, issues in the United States. So I don't know. I'm not in government anymore, but I think that is going to be something that's determined that looks looked at. And you know, Russia is one of those that. Is most likely to be doing this. This is something that's well within their wheelhouse. They take an incident that has a legitimacy within the American people, whether it's, um, you know, the George Floyd killing and the protests that happened after that. And then they exaggerate it or then they fuel the other side and they potentially provide funds and propaganda and Facebook pages. And then they take potentially right wing issues about fraud in the election that didn't happen. And then they fuel that with Facebook and false so that people think there's more people out there believing this. And it, it, it kind of helps them believe it themselves by thinking, wow, I'm in a Facebook page where there's 4,000 people and they're all thinking this happened. So 4,000 people can't be wrong. For example, I'm just hypothetically talking. But they can support it through influence operations or potentially, and I don't know this, but potentially uh, actually funding some kind of Effort to do, to be harmed, or to, to take action. I think if the U.S. government finds that that is the case, then they need to take direct action, include sanctions, and all the stuff that they do for uh, malign activities uh, around the world. You know, uh, if they're doing that in the United States, uh, we need to protect ourselves, and we need to we need to expose it so that people understand who's the driving force behind a lot of these ideas that are act- they think are actually coming from fellow Americans.
0: You mentioned about this uh, feeling of a potential civil war. What what do you think is going to happen? So I'm not I'm not a skies falling person. I don't think we're going to have a civil war. The United
1: States, you know, we have our issues, but it's still a great country, and it is a country that I mean, I've lived in developing countries all over the world, and I think I think Americans should probably spend more time traveling. I, you know, all things. COVID considered, i determine just how well we have it here. Uh, so I don't, but it, I do think that there is a real effort of groups that feel disenfranchised, who just have psychological issues that could take significant action. And to your point, I mean, we're a well-armed country. It is part of our history, and it's also part of our present. And so it needs to be addressed. It needs not be ignored. I mean, there's a massive part of the center that just doesn't understand any of it for good reason, but they need to pay attention to it. And the government itself needs to ensure that it's doing everything that it can to, like I said, find the ones that are most radical, that are most likely to do something violent and take action because it's a crime. I'm not one that subscribes to, you know, we're going to end up with a massive civil war or second civil war. Um, Let's not be doomsdayers. But let's also not put our head in the sand, because I think for a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of your people in your audience, when they were watching the events on January 6th were almost dumbfounded with the level of violence and this idea that you could use force uh, to stop the constitutional process. So that should be a wake up call to one of your earlier question. That should be a wake up call that this is not something to be ignored. It's not something to be exaggerated, but it's not something to be ignored.
0: Is enough being done? Because we see that time and time again, where whatever any other background or social media profiles, there always seems to be some sort of a mental illness connected with uh, with gunmen, suspects, uh, and the like. Again, I'm not, not my area of expertise on law enforcement, but uh, background checks
1: uh, should include, you know, whether a person's unstable or whether they're prone toward violence. And sometimes that's just indicated by the fact they've been arrested for Conducting violent acts. If somebody hasn't been actually convicted of something, but they have psychological issues, I mean, how do they how do they actually do that investigation? I think, uh, writ large, we need to keep weapons out of the hands of people that are mentally unstable, medical illness, but certainly one that would not you would not want somebody to have a weapon if they fell into those categories. I'll leave that to the legislators to decide how that and the, and the experts on that. Right. It's something that we wouldn't want. is People certainly um, who are in an altered state of reality uh,
0: with a weapon. I'm sure it's another conversation for maybe with certainly other experts. But there's certainly there's a lot of room there for uh, interpretation. Is somebody who had been ill is on medication? Does that still qualify? Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's that's something I think that uh, as we deal with the issue right now in Congress, that there'll be be
0: looking at. I want to thank you for, for spending some time with me, Michael Patrick Mulroy. Thank you again.
1: Thanks, Jerry. Uh, and you can call me Mick. That's what everybody else does. Okay. But uh, if you're interested in it again, let me know. This is uh, this is an issue that unfortunately isn't going away, and perhaps we can we can keep up with it together on the show.
0: Thanks again to Mick Mulroy. If you enjoy what you hear and would like to donate to the podcast, I'd love to have you as a Patreon on my Here Now the News page. Feel free to leave any comments about this interview or suggestions for future guests. You can find me on Twitter at Jerry Barmash. Email Jv at gmail.com. And like my Here Now the News Facebook page. Thanks as always for listening and your support. I'm Jerry Barnash.